Hello, everybody. I'm Paul. And I'm Chloe. And this is the Goodness Pays Leadership Podcast. The Goodness Pays Leadership Podcast is about how goodness can be a successful strategy for good leadership. Our purpose is to spark positivity and what's possible thinking in leaders like you so that you can radiate goodness every day. Our mission is to spread goodness because we believe goodness pays. I'm Paul Botts, the founder and CEO of Good Leadership Enterprises, and this podcast is coming to you from the Aspiration Suite in our offices near Minneapolis, Minnesota. I make my living as an author, a speaker, and an executive coach. And I'm Chloe Radcliffe. I'm the co-host of the Goodness Pays Leadership Podcast and a freelance writer and producer with Good Leadership Enterprises. And I just got back from a week working in New York City, and it's good to be home. I loved New York, but I'm happy to be back here. We're happy to welcome you back. Um, You can find more information about us on goodleadership.com website. And check us out at our Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, LinkedIn, and now here on this podcast. You can subscribe to the podcast at iTunes, Spotify, and goodleadership.com. And as always, we invite you to leave ratings, reviews, and comments. This episode features Luana Ojala, who is the second CEO of CaringBridge. She spoke at the 2017 October Good Leadership Breakfast Series. So I should probably explain the Good Leadership Breakfast Series. It's a leadership development event that our firm hosts eight times a year. We feature speakers who are willing to talk about the intersection of their personal and professional life and, of course, how goodness pays for them. It's an audience participation event where people are expected to be a part of roundtables and do specific exercises related to our speaker, in this case, Luana. To learn more about The Breakfast, you can check out our pilot episode for this podcast or at the goodleadership.com website. Okay, so let's just jump right in. Let's, yeah. We need to start with the orchestra analogy. I think you and I both agree that I was kind of, uh, I thought it was cute. Yeah. And I was kind of wondering where it was going, but uh, she was pretty masterful in weaving that tale. So yeah, I think we I should thought... just go ahead and listen. Cool. Let's do it. So music has been a very important part of my life, and I grew up with it. My mom was a musician. She came from the Philippines in 1967 to New York City, and um, her instrument was piano, and then my father was an engineer. He came in 1968 as an immigrant to New York, Um, didn't play any instruments, was absolutely terrible at at instruments, but he loved to sing. So I grew up in this environment where there was always music in my household. And I learned to play the piano and the clarinet. I never got to be an accomplished musician, but sometimes it's so ingrained in me that I think in terms of music. And I started thinking about preparing for this talk today. And of course, Harvey and Irma is happening and the kind of music that was coming to my mind were things that were very destructive. And so I thought, well, let's move away from that. But there was a nice medium that came to my mind, and that was the 1812 Overture. Just, I see some nodding when I say that. Do you know the 1812 Overture? Okay, so for those of you who are shaking, don't know that. It's by Tchaikovsky. It's uh, normally played at July 4th when the fireworks come out, and it goes da 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 And then it goes dun, 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 dun. So you know it. And um, you know it. Didn't bring an instrument, but. Um, and, and, this, and this music uh, kind of came to me, and I started thinking about what most people don't know is this music actually starts very softly with a couple of strings. So it's very sweet in the beginning of the song. It's a 15-minute piece by Tchaikovsky. He actually performed it in 1891 at Carnegie Hall. He was the first major European composer to perform a piece at Carnegie Hall. Um, 
and it starts very soft and it's very sweet and then it starts to build and build and build and the woodwinds come in and the brass starts to pick up and around minute nine, it starts to become more urgent, much more quick, 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 quick. And then all of a sudden in minute 14, you start to hear these cannons and these cymbals and it's like, what went on here? This is a beautiful piece of music. This had this whole story. And each of the musicians that play this piece play a very important part of the community of mus musicians who create this music together. And what on earth does this have to do with Caringbridge? Well, Caringbridge is a location that allows the music of the community to be played, and we each play a part. And each of the parts are very important. So when you think about yourself in a community around someone who's a patient or caregiver, your part, whether you're a violinist or you're the cannon at the end or the cymbals, is actually quite important. I love that. It's You're totally right that at first I was going, man, where's this going? And you heard her say it in the, in the speech. She goes, and what does this have to do with Caringbridge? And I thought that the way that she explained that Caringbridge allows the community to come together to play music together, you know, I, I, to, to play the music of the community and everybody plays a part was really powerful. And what we don't hear in this clip that that comes back in later in the speech, um, she came back to that metaphor. And this is what I love. She came back to that metaphor and she talked about two things. She said, who do you think is the caregiver in here? And who did you have a guess? Where, what were you guessing, Paul? Well, like everyone else, I thought it was the conductor. Right. She very carefully explained a way that it is not the conductor. Yeah. It's actually the percussionist. The percussionist. And that plays resonated. Plays many different instruments, never stops keeps the rhythm and then the joke here is that when the everyone in the orchestra stands you stands still can't up for about, see the percussion. And you can't see the, yeah, right, exactly. And I, that really resonated to me. My mom just went through a um through a pretty lengthy caregiver process with both of her parents and that and the the metaphor of the percussionist as the caregiver really hit home for me watching my mom go through that. So that was I loved how that wrapped back later. And then the other thing that wrapped back was she said think about issues, you know, through the question out to the audience. She said think about you, as participating in someone's health journey, are you playing at all? Are you playing any instrument? Whether it's the sweet, quiet violin at the beginning or the big clanging cannon at the end, are you playing? You know, the, both of those are equally important, but are you playing? And that was really magnetic to me. Yeah, I, I, have, I have two reactions to that. First, it, it's an undeniable truth that so much of our, um, our economy is related to healthcare. And if you just walk through a hospital, and just think of all the different people that it takes to provide care in one bed for one human being, not to mention all the volunteers that uh, help us find that room. Um, and then you put the caring bridge equation into it. It really is. It, I, I can think of no other thing that is more complex. And so I've always had a huge respect for healthcare leaders. We do a lot of work with healthcare leaders. Yeah, the number of things that they have on their minds on a day-to-day -day, it far exceeds what um, other executives have on their minds. So that that was cool. And I thought the um, the orchestra metaphor was definitely um, alive there. Mm -hmm. There's a second thing though that as a private business owner, the thing that goes through my mind a lot is that every big business starts out as a small business. And she talked about with the orchestra and the wonderful 1812 orchestra, which the, the 1812 overture, yeah, yeah, right, right, right. 1812 overture, it, it it explodes with all the grandeur of By a the full end. orchestra. But it begins with these two strings, 
And that is what happens when you have a business like ours and any other business that starts as a small one and really grows. And I was just right. Oh, I had that experience with freelance. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I I was really moved by that. And I think I'm being honest and saying that someday I hope this is a big orchestra that booms like the 1812 Overture. Yeah, absolutely. She, you know, she um, illuminated her mission and the mission of Caring Bridge really concisely. Can we go to that? section because I thought the way she explained her work was really compelling. Uh, I completely agree. Let's listen to that now. And I feel very fortunate that I discovered what mission-driven work really meant because I took the job because of the healthcare and the digital and developing a strategy and a vision for a digital organization. And then it was lucky that it was also mission-driven. And I thought I got that when I took the job. But the truth is I did not. I did not understand that. And here I am three years later, and I think I understand it a little bit more because I didn't realize that I was going to get to work on building communities in digital to lift the human spirit. Are you kidding me? (laughs) No recruiter ever came to me to say that you're going to work on communities in digital to lift the human spirit, to reduce isolation, and make sense of the chaos for these people who need, need your service desperately because they are alone, um, 65% of the time, they're a caregiver, and they need a way to, com- to connect to their community in a way that's simple, that's fast, and that's easy. I'm so glad we pulled this clip. I find leaders who can explain the why, the purpose of what they do in ways that are concise to be absolutely magnetic. It's, it's one of my favorite things about leaders, and the way she describes she is such such personal words in describing that and the energy in her voice, it just was, it was irresistible. Yeah, it's hard to, it is hard to be concise and personal and accurate all in one. That's that's hard work. That's a leadership exercise in and of itself. Well, I found it to be permission giving as well. Um, as an executive coach and the person that does the speaking at the Good Leadership Breakfast, I get a lot of calls from people. People who are searching, they might be young people who are searching for the first job, people mid-career who are searching, people at the end wondering, okay, when I quit this last job, what can I do after that? And I try as hard as I can to just give them permission to let it unfold. She talked about how long it took her to actually realize the joy in working in mission-driven work. And, or, and even identify really what that meant, right? That she, she was saying she thought that when she entered the job, she got she understood yeah. what mission-driven work and is. I think the reality in this real-time world that we live in is you can't microwave everything. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you just kind of have to slog through it to find the real joy in being and doing things. and. Um, I, you and I both know she gave up a lot of trappings of high level yeah. commercial CEO type work. Yeah. She could have made a lot more money and yeah. had a lot more things, but she's describing where that joy is in that mission very concisely. And as a listener, um, uh, I'm hoping that you're pondering what should maybe you let ferment a little bit more in your life? What are you trying to push on or microwave that maybe you should just maybe let come to you? I think that was a beautiful lesson we got from the Wanda there. Yeah. Yeah. And you actually, that's a perfect segue into the next clip that I would love to listen to. Um, talk. There's a section where she talks about how her currency has changed and her experience has changed. Can we go to that section? Yeah, and it actually starts out with her talking about the strength that she gets from the community that she sees as yeah, the yeah, yeah, yeah. CEO. So let's listen. Why is it that when we feel so, when we have such a needs, we feel so guilty about asking for help? It's hard. But is there a way that we can create an experience digitally 
that makes it easy and removes the guilt of asking for help. So these are the kinds of things that we think about at CaringBridge, that it's not just a communication tool 20 years later. It's how do we adjust people's mentality around their, their importance to the community to help other people. Does that make sense? You know, when you say it out loud, it makes total sense. But we are shifting in terms of the, the value that we're bringing to heal communities that really need healing. And I don't mean wellness or health outcomes, but there is healing that happens in these communities. Just like when you listen to a piece of music, sometimes you're healed, each of the musicians doing their part. So I'm gonna just shift a little bit uh, around community because um, we've talked quite a bit about um, you know, the importance of community this morning. And for me, I'm, I might, this might be provocative for someone who's been in business for 20 years, but I have literally never done anything in my life without the strength of my community. I started talking about my parents right out of the gate here. Me being here and what I get to work on and being a parent and a wife and a friend to others, my life would be very, very different if my parents never came to this country um, and lived the, the life that they had to allow the opportunity for their children, like many of you whose parents or grandparents or great-grandparents came. So that community was actually quite impactful for me in terms of what I'm here doing. I take responsibility for all my failures and mistakes, but they really helped propel me to position me to have a great education, great opportunities. And then beyond my family, when I think about the mentors that I've had in my professional career who have been so generous with providing me guidance along the way, and even the idea of going to a nonprofit job um, was I was very, very much encouraged by my community, and I'm very grateful for that. Um, I was uh, very, very close to accepting another job that got recently purchased by a very large online retailer as an executive. And I was very close to the end of that process. And I told them that I had to turn that job down because I wanted to work at Caringbridge. And the, the hiring executive said to me, did you know that my mom had a Caring Bridge site for her breast cancer journey. And I said, I didn't know that. And he said, you absolutely need to take that job. And so I think about people like that in the community who isn't necessarily a friend, but people all around you, there's a way to learn. And it's, a very, it's been very, very impactful for me. Can't talk about Caring Bridge without talking about the team. We have a 40-person team, uh, very small relative to the reach that we have nationally, internationally. And we are also a community of people who care very deeply about our mission. Um, we also have a community of donors. 90% of our funding comes from individual donations of $63 who care deeply about what we do. 80,000 people will make a donation to Caring Bridge this year. That's very unique for a nonprofit. Some of you who are a nonprofit are like, wow. But yes, that community propels what we do. And they are a very important community that we also that I'm also a part of and share. Um, Paul's talked about how goodness pays. Um, if you've, you know, he's, he said it this morning, but he's also said it lots of other times in this series, and that is absolutely true for me. And the difference is, in this role, is that my currency is very different than what it used to be before. So my currency is really the feeling that I'm helping a patient or caregiver in their community today my currency is that I feel so satisfied about the ability to utilize my skill set for something very meaningful. And the idea that I get to work on that um, every single day is a really important 
way that I think about richness. And I've never been so rich in my life, really, as a professional. And I think I might be the richest CEO in digital, for sure. I, I find it fascinating how they've made the shift that CaringBridge is actually a part of the healing. Mm -hmm. you, be, when they started, they were explaining the healing as if the healers were the people in healthcare. Right. But what we're learning kind of is the, is the thing that we knew all the way back when, when people used to end the evening sitting around the campfire, that the community talking about it, supporting each other, that, that is all a part healing. of the healing oh, yeah. community. And, you know, I, I think that social media gets such a bad rap. There's a lot of reasons for that. You know, the, the dark noise that just seems to never, ever go away. Um, is equally as powerful and maybe even more powerful when you really follow along and listen to people's comments uh, through a CaringBridge site. I found that to be just fascinating and makes me feel really hopeful about where we're headed with you know social media as a strategy for society. Yeah, I know. I love knowing that there are people out there who are who are saying my mission is to spread love and hope and healing. And the, you know the the part of what she said about healing, she made a comment that the healing is not just for the person who is on the health journey, but the healing is for the community around them as well. And that, that's part of what CaringBridge does. And again, you know, I mentioned my mom's journey as a caregiver. She spent 13 years as the primary caregiver for her parents, uh, both of whom had pretty severe um, health conditions. Yeah. And, and I watch her still, they're both now gone and still need healing and still be in processes of healing. And that kind of the acknowledgement of the healing that it doesn't just apply to the person who is sick. It applies to the person, the people around them too, that there is energy drain, you know, there, that that's an energy drain. And that's a, that's a workload was really important to me. Well, and the I, caring bridge site that I've been following for the last 45 days is written by the, the wife of the person who is having some traumatic uh, brain injury, um, um, caring, complications, complications yeah, yeah. And, and the caring and she, the most vivid part about her strain is all of the, um, all the numbers of people that literally touch her husband every day. Mm. It, it's fascinating. There are mm. dozens and dozens and dozens of people. Mm. And there's a leadership metaphor here as well, I think, in that we talk about that nothing significant ever happens alone. Yeah. And that no matter what happens to you at the highest highs or the lowest lows, you're not alone. You didn't, this, you didn't do this to yourself. There's yeah. a community here and understanding who are the players around you? How do you need to feed them, draw on them, help them work together? I think that fits into this discussion that Absolutely. about, you know, the, the healing community. Yeah. At every breakfast, you say nothing significant ever happens alone. And that is one of the big major threads of this, of, of particularly this section that we just listened to, but of Luana's whole speech. Yeah. So let's make the pivot to the currency thing. So yeah. we talked earlier about the fact that she could be very, very, very wealthy mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, commercially, like with money mm -hmm. and that she gave up a lot of that in order to take this mission driven thing. Um, what were your first thoughts when she started talking about the currency? Well, she, you know, it's funny because this is another thing that you say at every breakfast is you, you, good leadership talks about goodness pays. Mm -hmm. And she said that explicitly in the section again, and then talked about, I now have a different currency. And I think explicitly naming that it's possible to have different currencies is really Important because it's not what we assume. It's not how we operate. We operate, you know, I think society just tends and, and particularly in a business world, we operate on salary numbers. And so for Luana to say, 
I have a different currency. And to again, you were talking about permission giving, to give people permission to think about what else is valuable to me, whether that's reflecting on what's valuable in their current position or what's valuable as I move through my career is really a self-reflection exercise. And and it sounds like she did some of that before and then is still, you know, that self-reflection is still unveiling for her um and and i thought that was a really cool when she man when she said i've never been so rich it just gave me chills yeah me too and so um you know one of my favorite parts about the breakfast is that after the ted talk style keynote is over we do a roundtable discussion and i ask people this time to talk about what kind of role the friends had in Mm -hmm. their in their leadership but then when I got to do the interview, I probed on that. I thought to myself, wow, she must be growing in unique ways. And uh, one of the themes we hear over and over again is just the, the pulls of work and life, especially from mothers mm-hmm. with children absolutely. who are working in the workplace. Or as women who are considering becoming mothers. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. So that, that it's, it's a very much a recurring theme. So I loved how she uh, she answered that question. Yeah, I thought that that was a, you know, I, I one of the things that you try to do in the interview section is ask the questions that we all in the audience are thinking. And I really was thrilled that you asked that because I was thinking about how does this connect back to your personal life or not, not just how does it connect, but really what are those impacts? So I'd love to listen to that. Yeah, right away. Here we go. So uh, we haven't talked about this yet. You are a very active mom and wife. So what do you, this job at Caring Bridge, what have you learned in this job that's made you better at home? Well, we should ask my husband. <laughs> Right? You always have to ask the other person. Well, first of all, I will start with saying that I have the luxury that a lot of professional women or professional men are women have, which is that he is a stay-at-home dad. So he's been home with our kids for about nine years. And I do not get to do what I do, you know, talk about community, unless he is supportive of all sorts of choices we've made in my career. But I think the difference from a, um, I'm a lot happier um, because of my currency. But the other thing that's different in terms of the kids is the you don't have to do this just because you go from for-profit to non-profit. You could do this any time. But the conversation used to be about when. When we would have that, when would we go here, when would we get to do this thing? And now the conversation is whether, and being very thoughtful about why are we doing and spending our time this way as a family, and is it the most important priority? Because um, that shifted for me when I went to the non-profit world. Um, just frankly, because the compensation structure is very different yeah, in the nonprofit right. world. And you have to, there's a practical aspect to that. But I think it's been a gift for me as, as, as the mom to be able to have a different kind of conversation that is more deliberate about how we spend our time as a family. I thought that was so cool how open she was willing to be about a shift in how her family operates, that they um, used to sort of make assumptions about what was available to them or what they what they were going to do. And that now they're being, she used the word deliberate. We talk about being intentional a lot and that that those kind of discussions are really important. And of course, everybody, you know, everybody has some degree of those conversations, but to hear Luana talk about them explicitly on stage was was cool and I thought really important. Yeah, this was, uh, for, for some reason, the way she and I talked about it, I, I, I was not fully present. I, I went back to my time in child raising. My, my youngest child is 22 years old. She's finishing college. So I have been an empty nester without the day-to-day pressures of the kids' schedules in my life for over five years. Mm-hmm. And I was, I found myself going back to those days that I remember, I remember my kids most vividly in junior high. 
Um, they're pulled by lots of things, choices that they get to make. And we're also struggling with choices our family wants to make. And one of those choices was six o'clock dinner. And I remember when that no longer became a practical thing because they had signed up for things, mm-hmm. a specific level of gymnastics, a specific dance team, a golf team that my son was on that way traveled a lot. And I remember there were a couple of nights when it was just Melinda and me, no kids at six o'clock on a weeknight Ready going, for dinner. what the heck just happened? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and, and that was the, you know, dealing with the whens, are we going to do this? When are we going to do that? And I feel like that struggle is very real. You don't have children yet. Right. And it is amazing how that really does take over your life. But I feel confident that women like Luana, women like you and other women in my life are, are, are going to figure this out. Mm-hmm. We've now had long enough to deal with these devices that we have. And we're starting to understand we do have choices. We don't have to chase everything that comes. And I think that that level of control and choice is, is actually a very, very good thing. And we're kind of learning how that works. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think exactly what you were talking about with the uh, your your experiences of six o'clock dinner, the experiences of choices at a broader level, you know, those specific choices about when do we eat dinner as a family, the broader choices about how do I live, you know, balance my career, my work, my family, whatever. Um, all of that comes back to what Luana was saying about why it's not it's it's not just when it's whether and why. I, I think if I could continue that interview, I would probe and I would ask her. What kind of discussion is she having with her children about the why behind her job? Mm -hmm. I think that's really important. If your kids really understand, I traveled a lot. I give a lot of professional speaker speeches, excuse me. I travel a lot of cities and it was a lot easier when my kids got old enough to understand that I was out there spreading a message and doing my work and that that's something that maybe they would get to do someday Mm -hmm. as opposed to why is dad already always gone? Mm -hmm. That was a big transition in our life, but we had to be very intentional about that too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good. Well, I I really, really enjoyed revisiting the conversation from October 2017 with Luana Ojala. It was really, really special today. Yeah, yeah. I feel inspired to play an instrument in the community, even, even outside of the context of a health journey, to just sort of think about that, the orchestra metaphor, in a lot of contexts, in work, in friends, in family. Uh, how am I playing a part? How, what part am I playing? So... Okay, so as we wrap up our podcast, um, we want to talk about what is the actionable insight that came right. from this, the thing that we are going to take away. So um, this may be unfair, but as I form my thought, I'm going to throw it to you yeah. and ask you, what do you think is your actionable insight from Luana Ojala? To me, it's reflecting on my currency. It's funny, you, you, I could see on, on your face you sort of going, hope you're ready for this. And I went, oh, I know exactly what it is for me. It's reflecting on what is my currency. Um, what are the value structures, sort of what are the pillars that are holding up the decisions that I make? And when I step back and look at it from a, you know, from a broader view, do I agree with those decisions that I'm making? And am I making those decisions deliberately, to use Luana's word? Well, I'll put words in your mouth. When, when you're traveling on the road in New York and you know you need to be back in Minneapolis and the weather is terrible and the flights are behind... How do you remind yourself that those are intentional discussion decisions that you've made and that's part of your currency? Yeah. Are you... Was that a question or was that a sort of a coaching framework? It's a coaching framework to say, you know what? Totally. I know that this is coming for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I think it's just going to be about... For me, it's got to be about um, thinking about 
the emotions in the moment. You know, like when I'm when I'm coming back to do something like a podcast like this, I feel so energized right now. I mean, I'm the listeners can't see me, but I'm like waving my hands around and hopping from foot to foot because I just I feel energy around that. And so to me, it's about keeping keeping in mind what gives me that kind of energy. So the actionable insight that I took away is that um, the word goodness is not very commonly used in business. Uh, more often than not, we get eye rolls and skeptical looks as much as we do get as we're embraced. And I feel like the way that Luana articulated the purpose and the mission of Caring Bridge was so magnetic and simple that people wanted to be a part of the conversation. And uh, I intend to be doing this 20, 30 years from now. I think the more we can get very specific about goodness and why it pays and why we think that can be the most powerful framework and motivation for leadership, it's just every every hour we spend trying to sharpen that message is going to pay back big dividends. Yeah. So I think now the challenge is you to you as the listeners. What actionable insight did you take away? And that's something that only you can decide. We hope one of the actionable insights is that you're going to tune in and listen to another Goodness Pays Leadership Podcast. Yeah. So we have one tradition here, and that was we always end with the most important concept. What do we want people to remember, Chloe? Goodness Pays. Yes, it's Goodness Pays. We hope to, li- we hope to have you listening again soon. Yeah. Talk to you soon. <laughs>